Let us pray. Loving God, fountain of every blessing, open us to your life-giving word and fill us with your Holy Spirit so that living water may flow through our hearts, a spring of hope for a thirsty world. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our scripture lesson from this morning comes from Leviticus 25, beginning at the beginning and including various verses. I'll be reading from the Common English Bible. Listen for the word of God. The Lord said to Moses on Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, Once you enter the land that I am giving you, the land must celebrate a Sabbath rest to the Lord. You will plant your fields for six years and prune your vineyards and gather their crops for six years. But in the seventh year, the land will have a special Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. You must not plant your fields or prune your vineyards. You must not harvest the secondary growth of your produce or gather the grapes of your freely growing vines. It will be a year of special rest for the land. Whatever the land produces during its Sabbath will be your food for you, for your male and female servants, and for your hired laborers and foreign guests who live with you as well as for your livestock and for the wild animals in your land. All of the land's produce can be eaten. Count off seven weeks of years, that is seven times seven, so that the seven weeks of years totals 49 years. Then have the trumpet blown on the tenth day of the seventh month. Have the trumpet blown throughout your land on the day of reconciliation. You will make the 50th year holy, proclaiming freedom throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It will be a jubilee year for you. Each of you must return to your family property and to your extended family. The 50th year will be a jubilee year for you. Do not plant, do not harvest the secondary growth, and do not gather from the freely growing vines because it is a jubilee. It will be holy to you. You will observe my rules, says the Lord, and you will keep my regulations and do them so that you can live securely on the land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You're invited to pause for a moment for prayer and reflection on the text. Amen. It now seems like ancient history, but in March of this year, some fake photos went viral. They claimed to show dolphins and swans swimming in the once heavily polluted canals of Venice, Italy. The pictures were lovely, and they traveled at light speed around the world, a world trembling on the cusp of a pandemic unlike any in recent memory. 
Nature just hit the reset button on us, one tweet claimed. While it is true that the pollution in the canals has decreased with the reduction of traffic, swans have always paddled around one corner of Venice, and the playful dolphins were actually filmed in Sardinia. It was and is such a lovely thought, though, isn't it? I don't think we can be blamed for clicking like and sharing. But I think our joy over the Venetian swans and the dolphins pointed to more than a diversion from the rising numbers of COVID cases around the world. I think these images tapped into something deep and holy, something that said, yes, creation had hit the reset button, meaning that perhaps humanity could too. Now, I'm guessing that not many of us have Leviticus 25 or Leviticus anything marked as a favorite chapter in Scripture. This book, along with Numbers and Deuteronomy, expands on the laws that we know from the Ten Commandments. Together, these three books offer the nitty-gritty details of how God expects the people of God to live on the other side of their wandering in the wilderness. These books include the fine points of how to handle property and what to wear and eat, among other things. It is tempting to write these books off as exhausting lists of minutiae. But to ignore them is to lose a piece of who we are called to be and what we are called to be about as the people of God here and now. Because these books remind us that God has grand dreams for us and that those grand dreams shape who we are in the midst of the most mundane of daily activities. That we are called to worship the one true God above all else and to serve that God with every fiber of our being and every moment of our lives. God has high hopes for the people of God and for the community we build together. And this text from Leviticus contains helpful clues about what those hopes were and still are even now. It turns out that this longing for a reset is an ancient one. This morning's text reminds us that the people received the law while waiting at the foot of Mount Sinai, waiting and waiting some more in the wilderness. Slavery in Egypt lingers in the rearview mirror, and the promised land is still way off in the distant future. The priests who tell these stories and compile these laws and practices do so during a time of waiting, too. Scholars believe these books are written during and just after the exile, yet another chapter when things seem bleak for the people of God and the promises God has made with and to them. As they write, the temple is in rubble, and many of the residents of Judah have been exiled and scattered. As scholar Robert Alter says, these intricate legal instructions are a means of reinstating the vanished temple as a fact of the imagination and a blueprint for future restoration. 
Life in community requires vision and imagination because the old reference points no longer hold. The people need a blueprint for how to shape life together because life in the promised land won't look like the old life, or at least it's not supposed to. It is a reset, a fresh start. Those who capture and write down all the details of the law do so as an act of faith, faith that desert wanderings and exile are not the last word. A new vision grounded in the faithfulness of God is their central hope. The Sabbath talk we hear today is familiar. We know that we are called to be a people who practice Sabbath each week. We know we are shaped and called to set aside time for rest and worship, that Sabbath is a gift to help us order or reorder our lives in a way that lines up with who God creates us to be. This text from Leviticus expands on that notion. Not only are we to rest once a week, the entire community, the whole of creation even, is to rest for a full year every seven years. And then in the 50th year, we are called to celebrate a jubilee year. Those Sabbath and Jubilee years are extraordinary things, a dramatic reset, a fresh start for every person and for creation too. As those of us who gathered for a Bible study this week observed, allowing the land to lie completely fallow for a year sounds like a ridiculous and impractical thing to do. That said, throughout the centuries, this text and the images it offers have fired the imagination of communities around the world. Jesus himself speaks of such dreams when he preaches to his home congregation in Luke's gospel. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then tells his home congregation that this vision is fulfilled in their hearing in him And as you may recall, not everyone is pleased with Jesus' notions. This extravagant and gracious talk of freedom and release enrages his hometown crowd. They try to run him off a cliff. But these words are not only the stuff of ancient law books or early hometown sermons. No, words from Leviticus 25 are inscribed on the liberty bell. Proclaim liberty throughout throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. The King James tripped me up. I'll say it again. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. According to the National Parks website, Speaker of the Pennsylvania Assembly, Isaac Norris, chose this inscription for the State House Bell in 1751, possibly to commemorate the 50th anniversary of William Penn's 1701 Charter of Privileges, which granted religious liberties and political self-government to the people of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. 
The inscription of Liberty on the State House Bell, now known as the Liberty Bell, went unnoticed during the Revolutionary War. After the war, abolitionists seeking to end slavery in America were inspired by the bell's message. And beginning in the late 1800s, following the Civil War, the Liberty Bell traveled across the country for display at expositions and fairs, stopping in towns small and large along the way. So this Cracked bell, with its somewhat obscure biblical reference, was carted around a nation fractured and scarred by a long, costly, and bloody war as a way of appealing to people's imaginations and a common belief in a higher calling and shared hopes. The call to jubilee, forgiveness, liberation, and healing for the land was a worthy calling, a gracious blueprint even, for a hurting nation and all of her inhabitants. It still is. Someone recently observed that the pandemic has driven us to observe a forced jubilee year in a way. Because of the many ways we have been required to stop, to pause, to let go of our work and our plans and much of our control. And while there are no dolphins in the canals in Venice, reduced emissions have offered a breather for the planet, just as the slower pace of life has offered a welcome respite for many. But there are others who are weighed down by unemployment or underemployment. Many are fighting back against the restrictions and are deeply angry at all the ceasing and stopping. Small business owners are anxious about years of work and investments disappearing before their eyes. Parents are squeezed by jobs that demand full-time work while their children need hands-on help with school. Older adults have been isolated and quarantined. Families have been unable to come alongside suffering or dying loved ones. And medical professionals have struggled to keep up with surging cases with no end in sight. Yes, much of the world we know has come to an abrupt halt, but I'm not sure it really feels like jubilee. The details of the text tell us that Jubilee requires planning and preparation. It is not intended to be a surprise, so this current chapter may not feel like a true Jubilee. That does not mean that it can't, though. Over the past week, some of us have played and sung and created and laughed and studied and prayed as we wondered about what it means to show compassion Together, we learned what it means to see someone's hurt, to feel that person's hurt, and to offer to help or ease that person's hurt. Challenges like pandemics and justice and viral fear are so big, dauntingly big, really. There is so much hurt. The problems are so big. So is the notion of Jubilee. Stop everything. Let everyone go. Let everything rest. Trust that there is and will be enough. Start everything over from scratch. 
It is too grand, too big to imagine, too foreign to who we are and what we do. As we learned or were reminded this week, being people of compassion starts small, like a tiny seed that becomes a flourishing marigold. Maybe that seed is offering a kind word to a friend who is hurting, sharing a meal with someone who is hungry, or bravely standing up for someone who is being treated unfairly. Compassion starts small. And I think God's jubilee starts small too. God intends for jubilee to be woven into the everyday work of the entire community as a reflection of God's grace, God's gift of fresh starts and second and third and 434th chances for each and every one of us. God calls us to observe Sabbath every week and every seven years, and God intends Jubilee to come twice every century. But we've never learned how to plan for it, let alone expect it. We have convinced ourselves that we are measured and valued by what we earn, what we possess, and what we achieve. We have forgotten that God is Lord of all and that we are God's beloved children first and foremost and God's sacred stewards. We have not learned how to incorporate true Sabbath into the rhythm of our life together, not simply for us, but for others. We've never learned how to honor this rhythm fully, let alone practice something as radical as Jubilee. So we have to learn what it looks like, what we look like when we begin to build a community using God's blueprint. Now, Jubilee may not look as spectacular as the sudden appearance of dolphins in a once polluted canal. It is smaller than that, and it is bigger than that. Jubilee requires risk and trust, and faith, and forgiveness. Jubilee looks like deep breaths, and unclenched fists, and open hearts. Jubilee looks like people from different shores of the Susquehanna, or opposite sides of the aisle, finding common ground, and working for the common good. Jubilee looks like giving another human being the benefit of the doubt. Jubilee looks like granting or asking forgiveness for a past hurt. Jubilee looks like extending an invitation to come home. Jubilee is as graceful as a swan in a quiet canal and as awkward as a bulky, beloved, cracked bell being slowly hauled from town to town reminding broken people of God's grander vision of release and forgiveness, fresh starts and true freedom from all that binds us, and second chances for everyone. The people of God have not fulfilled that vision yet, but the God of Israel still holds out hope for us. 
The God we meet in Jesus Christ still holds that blueprint up for us. And that same God calls us to blow the horn and ring the bell, proclaiming and embodying God's good news of fresh starts and second chances and radical resets for us and for everyone everywhere. Because, dear friends, God is not finished with any of us yet. Thanks be to God. Amen.